Where can you learn from designers at Amazon and Quora, developers at SoundCloud and Heroku, and entrepreneurs like Patrick and Brown from Brand Yourself? You can level up your design, dev, and promotion skills at Level Up Con, taking place October 8th and 9th in downtown Saratoga Springs, New York. Only two hours by train from New York City, this is the perfect place to enjoy early fall at Oktoberfest while you mingle with industry pioneers in a resort town in upstate New York. Get your ticket today at levelupcon.com. The space is extremely limited for this premium conference experience. Don't delay. Check out levelupcon.com now. This episode of iTreats is brought to you in part by Postcards. Postcards is the simplest way to allow user feedback from right inside your application. With just a simple gesture, anyone testing your app can send you a postcard containing a screenshot of the app and some notes. It's a great way to handle bug reports and feature requests from your client. It takes five minutes to set up, and the first five postcards each month are free. Get started today by visiting www.postcard.es. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 73 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel we have James Uber. Hello from Minneapolis. Alondo Brewington. Hello from North Carolina. Pete Hodgson. Hello from Yerba Buena. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Bob McCune. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly, Bob? Sure. My name is uh, Bob McCune. I'm a software developer and instructor from Minnesota. I got my start developing for Apple platforms at the end of 2007, and they've really been my primary focus ever since. I also have a small consulting and training company called Tap Harmonic, and uh, I'm also the founder and group leader of the Minnesota Cocoa Heads chapter, which I started about six years ago. Yay, Cocoa Heads. Yes. I know this guy from Minnesota. You might have heard of him. (laughs) Yes. And most recently, I uh, finished writing a new book for Addison Wesley called Learning AV Foundation, which is all about how to use the AV Foundation framework for building media apps. Cool. To get started, do you want to just kind of give us a quick overview of what AV Foundation allows you to do? Sure. AV Foundation is Apple's advanced Objective-C framework for working with time-based media on both iOS and macOS 10. So it's got a really broad and powerful feature set that lets you create a pretty wide variety of different applications for Apple platforms. Now, Apple, of course, has had a very long history with digital media. And at the heart of their media strategy for the past 20 years has been this platform called QuickTime which was certainly a revolutionary platform in its its time. But when the iPhone was being developed, it was clear that it really wasn't the right strategy going forward. So instead, they created this entirely new framework called AV Foundation to meet the needs of the iPhone as well as all future generation devices. But it's a framework that's deeply multi-threaded, takes full advantage of multi-core hardware when available, hardware-accelerated framework. And you know it's additionally a 64-bit native framework as well. So it provides all these great underpinnings for building audio and video applications. To, uh, we can get more into the details of those, each one of those capabilities, if you'd like. Yeah, I, th- I think that'd be very interesting. So it does audio and video? Yeah, it, it provides, actually, some of the earliest classes in AV Foundation were audio-only features. Um, AV Player, or AV Audio Player, and AV Audio Recorder were some of the earlier classes. And interestingly, in iOS 8 and Yosemite, They've actually pulled up uh, some functionality you would have previously had to go to Core Audio to perform. They've moved that into a whole new set of classes for doing more advanced audio processing. But in addition to the audio capabilities, you know, we've got basic media inspection and metadata capabilities for reading embedded metadata as well as, you know, interesting things you might uh, take advantage of during playback, such as 
duration or timing information. We've got very broad video playback capabilities, media capture for working with the camera and uh, built-in audio devices. There's a full suite of media editing capabilities, as well as some lower-level media processing features that you have available as well. So you talked about this is a 64-bit library or framework. Does that limit what devices and what iOS versions that this can be run on? No, it, it's really it's worked on the very first iPhone, so it, it will take advantage of 64-bit hardware when it's available. Okay. So uh, has this been in iOS since the very beginning? Well, some early classes, like I mentioned, the AV Audio Player, I think, came out in iOS 2.2, and AV Audio Recorder came out in iOS 3. But it really wasn't until iOS 4 where the framework exploded into what we know it to be today. And at that point in time, that's when they started adding video playback and capture and editing and all these capabilities. Um, But that's been around since iOS 4, and it was also then brought to the Mac on Mac OS 10.7, and now as of Mac OS 10.9, they've officially deprecated the QuickTime framework, so it's now the default media framework on uh, the Mac as well. And I think this is actually a really important point, is that now Apple is investing all of their media engineering resources into a single framework, which I think we've seen over the last couple of releases, some big new changes have happened to the framework because of it, and I expect really good things going forward as well. So would I, if I was doing game development, would I use, is this the framework I'd use for that as well, if I wanted to do kind of sounds and the games, or is there something else in the, in the game development world? No, you certainly could. You always have the opportunity to go to lower level frameworks like Core Audio or OpenGL, but AV Foundation, even just basic audio playback, that functionality has been around for a long time. And given the new capabilities they introduced in iOS 8, I think it's certainly where you'd want to look now because there's both kind of standard video playback as well as things that would have previously been done with using OpenAL for positional sound capabilities. And those things are all nicely within the framework and some fairly high-level high and productive classes you can use. What does positional sound capabilities mean? So you have a three-dimensional sound, so you can position a sound source behind a user's head or in front or you know pan around as you want. How does that work? Using things that are way beyond me. (laughs) (laughs) OpenAL was really what was used for that previously. And, you know, that way you can have, if you wanted to have a, you know, a dragon flying by, you could hear it come in from the right and kind of swoop around to follow its movement. And it certainly adds to the realism of certain types of games and other media applications. I'm assuming if I, if I wanted like to just add some sound effects to an app, like I wanted to, make a mail client where it makes a whooshing noise every time I send an email, then this would be what I'd use for that too, right? Yeah, you could certainly use AV Audio Player for that. You know, for really short sounds, you might even be able to use the System Sounds APIs, which are technically part of Core Audio. But if you'd prefer to stay in that Objective-C space, AV Audio Player would work very well for that. So would I be able to access, say, for instance, I have an app that lists song lyrics, and I've thought about adding a feature where you could actually listen to the song being played and maybe even sort of move the lyrics up and down through the song as the song is playing at an appropriate rhythm or pace? Would that be something that I could accomplish with AV Foundation? Well, I mean, you certainly can access that data. I mean, any embedded metadata that might be stored as part of the song is available. And actually, the lyrics in particular, there's actually a lyrics property on one of the the key classes you can access. Um, But there's a whole suite of metadata APIs that you can access any of that embedded metadata. Now, as far as sequencing that and kind of timing it with your playback, 
you'd need to do a little more work on your own to make that happen. Okay. So no vocoding without some extra work. <laughs> yes, not yet. Yeah, I mean, that, that's actually one of the limitations as far as these new audio features is they have some basic core audio units built in, but it's fairly small. So if you need to do more advanced audio processing, you still may need, need to go to core audio to, to do that kind of stuff. So do you see AV Foundation working alongside core audio for just handling different types of problems, or do you see it kind of replacing core audio? It, you know, it certainly can work well with core audio. That's actually maybe one thing I, sh I should explain is, you know, the, there's all of these lower-level frameworks that you have on both Mac and iOS. There's things like core audio, core video, core media, um, even core animation. And AV Foundation builds on top of those things. So most of those lower-level frameworks are uh, low-level standard C frameworks where AV Foundation is a higher level Objective-C framework. But that being said, you very often find yourself working with those low-level C frameworks. So if you wanted to work with core audio or core media, you certainly could do that. And I think each one is probably suited to handling different problems. But interestingly, you know, with the introduction of these new audio classes that were kind of pulled up from capabilities you would have had to go to core audio for before, as well as Apple's also taken some functionality that was in one of the higher level frameworks, the media player framework, and brought that into the AV Foundation realm for doing all kinds of video playback. And it's starting to lead me to believe that maybe Apple is trying to make AV Foundation the central interface for all things media uh, on the platform. I guess time will tell if that, that pans out. But given some of the moves they've made, I, I think that that seems likely. Okay, how deep... Like down the audio stack, can you go in AV Foundation versus when you have to drill down into core audio if you're doing like DSP, things like that? Does yeah, AV I mean, Foundation give you that functionality? No, when you, when you get into that level of stuff, you're really going to still need to dip down into the core audio framework. But what they have brought is now real-time scheduling of media or real-time scheduling of audio, I should say. So you do get real-time operations. You do get real-time some of these core audio units wrappers that they brought up into there. So for fairly advanced things, you can use these new features, but if you really need to get down into the DSP level, you're probably going to be operating at the core audio level itself. So I guess my question is, does this include things like audio players or video players as well? Yeah, the framework certainly has those kind of capabilities. One of the new things that was introduced, it was first introduced in 10.8 on the Mac, this new framework called AV Kit. And it's now been brought to iOS as of iOS 8. But what AVKit does for you as far as video playback is concerned is it provides you a player, or at least a player interface that looks identical to the native player, either you know, QuickTime Player on OS X or the built-in videos app on uh, iOS. But it, what, what it does for you, the MP Movie Player, that video player in the Media Player framework, uh, didn't do is that it finally exposes all of the AV Foundation underpinnings. So if you want to do some of the more advanced playback capabilities you have, you can do that while still very quickly build, building your user interface. On the other hand, if you wanted to build an entirely custom UI for your player, the framework certainly provides you all of those capabilities. Actually, the, the project I'm working on right now, that's specifically what we're doing. Um, so that way it gives you full control over the user, user interface and interaction as well as, you know, the whole playback stack as well. Now, yeah. you, you were, I'm sorry, you were also asking about one other framework. What was that? No, I was just curious. So it gives you all of those capabilities like speeding it up or slowing it down or skipping 
15 seconds or 30 seconds or some arbitrary number of seconds instead of just, you know, the basic player functions? Yes, and there's actually two different classes that you work with frequently when you're building a player. There's one called AV Player, which is kind of the controller object for controlling the timing and playback of a uh, MIDI asset. And then there's also a thing called an AV Player item, which is really the dynamic version of that media. So it has its presentation state, things like its timing and things like that. So, yeah, you're, you're free to scrub through at any rate you want. You can skip to various points using these classes. And an interesting thing, the thing that they added in, I believe, iOS 7 is as far as playing back at different rates, you can even set some different audio algorithms on the player so that it can either change the pitch um, as the, the timing speeds up or slows down, or you can keep it at the same pace. So it's interesting, you know, one common use of that might be if you're building some sort of transcription app, you're, you know, recording a conference or something or a lecture or something like that, and you want to slow the video playback down, but you don't want to have the audio also, you know, go into very white territory. You can do that and then, you know, slow the playback down and listen to things normally and then transcribe from there. So you, you really have all the capabilities you could possibly need in these playback AVIs. So that's pretty cool. I mean, if you ever tried to do any of those type algorithms where you're speeding things up and slowing things down, it's non-trivial, like the math involved. So having that stuff available for us is pretty cool. So I yeah, also see sure. in, in the back channel, we're talking about have auto-tuning. So I was wondering if we could help build an app to like auto-tune this podcast, you know, play it <laughs> along with some music. How do we, how do, we, we do that? We don't need to auto-tune it. We are pitch perfect. But we can play it along with different songs, you know? Okay. You know, that, that is actually something that's nice that, um, and what, personally one of my favorite areas of the framework are the editing capabilities. So if you wanted to build a podcast editing kind of application, you certainly could do that. And that allows you to assemble clips together in various temporal arrangements. You can easily trim and edit and position and shift things around. You can add additional tracks to add, you know, audio tracks or sound effects and things like that. And I think that's actually a really fun and interesting capability that's found in the framework. And that's actually the last four chapters of the book deal with that topic specifically, is how do you make use of all of these editing capabilities. So, it's, I mean, it sounds like you can almost build all of the kind of capabilities that are in the Apple-supplied apps, like the camera and the, the video camera and, and iTunes or whatever. You could almost build all of that stuff out of AV Foundation if you, if you wanted to. Yeah, like you really can. everything in there. Yeah, you really can. And, and most of Apple's apps are all built on top of it. So the, the built-in videos app, that's all AV Foundation. Even, you know, editing tools like iMovie for iOS, that's all built on top of AV Foundation. Even going up to, you know, some of Apple's more advanced tools like Final Cut, you know, big portions of that are all built around AV Foundation. So huh. it, it is it is nice that Apple provides us third-party developers the same capabilities that they have. Yeah, that, that is really nice. And being a podcaster, I talk to a lot of podcasters too. Um, there are definitely some things that you're speaking about that are speaking to me, you know, as far as things that I would eventually like to build into my own app for my own shows. And I know that several other podcasters are looking at for their shows. I'm wondering, does it do audio or video recording as well? Or is that a different framework? Yep. No, you certainly can do that. They have a full suite of capture APIs. And that's what all of these audio and video recording, or I guess I shouldn't lump all audio recording, but certainly video recording applications are built on, on these capture APIs. 
And this enables you to take advantage of the built-in hardware on your iOS devices, or if you're working on the Mac, it could potentially be a, an external audio interface or an external camera attached to it. But it provides you full control over the hardware, and you can capture things either directly right to a, a movie file or an audio file, or you can additionally capture the individual audio samples and raw video frames as they're coming off the hardware and do more interesting and advanced processing of that kind of stuff. So, for instance, if you needed to do some audio filtering or something, you could use the either an external mic or the, the built-in mic and do some real-time DSP effects or you know filters or compressors or any kind of thing that you might want to do and apply that in real time to those those uh, samples as they're being captured. So very robust area. And as a matter of fact, this is actually one area in particular where Apple has spent a lot of time over the years investing in. I think almost you know, certainly the majority of the WWDC years over the past few years anyway has always had a what's new in camera capture and that also includes the audio capture. But because of that, these APIs in particular are so closely tied to the hardware, um, each time Apple introduces a new device, there's new and interesting things in that area. As a matter of, matter of fact, just released a big, long forum post on all of the new uh, capture APIs that were added for the iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus. So a very rapidly evolving part of the framework. So what are the, some of the new capture formats? In terms of capture formats, do you mean the in terms of pixel sizes and things like that? Yeah, what's what's coming up new? You know, I, I can't really speak to uh, the iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus stuff, but they've added certainly some really new interesting things as it relates to camera capture generally. You know, a few things that people have been asking for for a few years are manual controls over things like exposure, white balance, and they've finally brought those capabilities. So now if you wanted to build a very advanced video or camera capture type of application, you've got those kind of controls at your disposal. So that was a big uh, welcome addition that was that was added recently. Yeah, very cool. I've worked on a number of apps that needed to capture or video for whatever reason, like taking pictures of a check or, or something. Mm -hmm. So this type of functionality, it's, it's really helpful versus having to do it at a lower level. Does it capture it as, uh, there's audio, video, and image. Does it capture it all as M4V or AAC or, you know, what, what kind of uh, formats does it support? There's a few different output types. There, I guess there's three components to a, a capture scenario. You've got this central object called a capture session, an AV capture session, and this kind of acts as the central hub to which inputs and outputs are attached. You've got inputs, things like your camera devices or audio devices, and then you've got a variety of different output types that you can send that data to. So you can use an AV capture movie file output, and this will record directly to a QuickTime movie using H.264 encoding and AAC for the audio. Or if you want to have more control over the encoding yourself, you can actually grab the raw video frames and audio samples and then use an object called an AV Asset Writer. And in using an AV Asset Writer, this then provides you really complete control over how you go about encoding that audio and video and writing it out to disk. So you do have quite a bit of control in this, this area. So you mentioned the ability to do kind of real-time real -time filtering on, on the audio stream as, it, as it's, I guess, moving through these kind of sources through to, to output. Can you do the same thing with video? Could I 
you know, like apply a sepia effect in, in real time to, to the video as it's kind of going through the stream and then show it to the user? Or is that something where I'd have to drop down to something lower level? No, you definitely can do that. And that's actually a very common use for the AV Foundation framework. Most of these advanced camera applications that you find on the App Store make use of those things. So you can apply real-time effects either using core image or more probably more commonly OpenGLES to do really any kind of advancing you want. The, in the application, I show an example of mapping the images coming in off the camera onto the faces of a 3D rotating cube. And I'll also have another one where I'm using core image to apply some real-time uh, effects, sepia being one of those, if I recall. That's cool. So you can actually, so I could do kind of like augmented reality type things where I'm combining images coming from the camera with kind of uh, generated rendered images and, and kind of display that like, yeah, augmented reality. I can do all of that inside of AV Foundation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, certainly the, the heavy lifting in that equation is the stuff you're doing in OpenGL, but sure. it, it provides you you know, the access to that data, as well as it also provides some nice bridging interfaces to very quickly get that data into OpenGL. Uh, so it's very fast and memory efficient. And um, you've seen a number of interesting applications. I think, is it Sphero, the one that has the the, the balls that uh, you, you can remotely control, if mm -hmm. I recall? Yep. Yeah. They've got one that I, I believe projects a character into whatever environment you're in, and you can kind of control that and move that thing around. But that's using a combination of OpenGL and most likely, or I should say, AV Foundation and OpenGL. So, Bob, walk us through a little bit how an app like that would be set up. So let's say we're getting video capture, and we've got some facial recognition algorithm so we can determine that someone's face is on there. It wouldn't have to be a specific person, but we can say it was a face, and we can you know, do a mustache on the face or give them a weird hat. How would the different parts of this app fit together with AV Foundation? Yeah, well, since you bring that specific use case up, that's a, a nice feature that's been you know, available for the last couple of releases of AV, on AV Foundation, and it's called AV Capture Metadata Output. And one of the metadata outputs that it can capture is actually faces. So it'll do real-time hardware-accelerated face detection. And this is just another output destination that you attach from your AV Capture session you'd attach an AV capture metadata output. And then what that actually outputs as the data is being captured are these things called AV metadata objects. And these metadata objects will contain things like the, the bounding rectangle for the face. It can additionally contain things like the rotation, kind of their side-to-side -side rotation, as well as a, what's called the, I believe, the yaw angle, if I'm, if I'm using these terms right, showing the user kind of moving their head towards their their shoulders. So it, it's you've got some very advanced capabilities when it comes to that. Now, the nice thing about it, the AV capture metadata output is that it's not strictly related just to face detection. So it really could be used for any kind of metadata that Apple may want to enable in the future. One of the things that they added in iOS 7 is they added the ability to do machine code detection, so barcode. So there's broad support for a bunch of different 1D symbologies, things like UPC codes and Code 39, as well as three or four different 2D symbologies, things like Aztec and QR. So use that same metadata output interface for doing both face detection as well as that, as well as um, for barcode scanning. 
but certainly in the future, Apple could add any more new metadata types they may want. Okay, so Apple provides stock options like facial recognition or barcode scanning. You know, it'll recognize if there's a, a barcode. It, what if you have your own kind of custom algorithm for detecting some random thing, you know, a yeah, coffee you, mug or something? Signatures. Yeah, you, you certainly could do that, and I've seen people use open source detection software that a number of people use. In, in that case... Yeah, OpenCV, thank you. So if you wanted to go that route, you certainly could. The same basic process would still be in place, but instead of using that metadata output, you would use what's called an AV Capture video data output, and that provides you the actual video frames as they're being captured by the camera, and then you can hand those off to OpenCV or any other kind of custom algorithm that would analyze that data and take whatever actions you might need. So it's nice they Although they provide some of these higher-level interfaces that make it really simple if you want to do something basic, like simply writing a movie file out to disk. But if you need to do some of the lower-level processing, you've got full access to all of those audio samples and video frames as well. Oh, very cool. That's actually something I was interested in. You, you kind of touched on the ability to plug in alternative, like non-stuff that doesn't come in the box, but get it to, to play nicely. Do you know of any interesting other examples of kind of third-party libraries that are plugged into this, like open-source libraries that I can maybe download on CocoaPods to kind of power up my AV Foundation? Well, I think one one project I certainly recommend checking out as it relates to camera capture is this framework by a guy named Brad Larson called GPU Image. Now, what's cool about GPU Image is that he's doing really all of the heavy lifting for you, including having literally, I think, over 100 different OpenGLES shaders available to apply a variety of different effects. And I think that, that application is really useful just kind of taking it as is, but I also highly recommend anyone who's interested in how these APIs work to dig into how he's, he's done this because he's made it very simple to build a very advanced camera application but like I said, he's that's because he's wrapping all of the, the hard details. But that that's a great one to check out for sure. So another chapter in your book that I find kind of interesting is mixing audio. Can you tell us a little bit about that functionality? Yeah, there's some there's some basic audio mixing capabilities that have been built built in really, I think, ever since iOS four. And these are part of the larger editing capabilities that the framework provides. Now where this is really most useful is when you're building multi-track compositions. So there's an object called an AV composition, which enables you to assemble video clips, audio clips, and kind of slice and dice those as you will. And if you're dealing with multiple audio tracks, you're going to have certain audio signals competing for attention. So you might want to do things like, you know, fade audio in or out on a track, or you might want to use a technique called ducking so that as you might have some background audio playing, but as maybe a, a voiceover comes in, you want to drop that audio level down and kind of hold it steady while that voiceover is going on and then ramp it back up when they're done. And you can use this class called AV Audio Mix to do that kind of thing. This object controls a specific, the parameters, the essentially the, the volume parameters that are occurring on a given audio track. And it provides you some basic capabilities for doing basic audio mixing. There are also some more advanced real-time capabilities you can plug into that as well. So if you wanted to do some more advanced or audio thing, there are, there are some audio interfaces available for getting access to the actual underlying audio samples themselves. 
so you really do have quite a, a few different options at, at your disposal when um, performing audio mixing. Now, related to that, I'm curious, can you uh, create original compositions? So, for example, you know, you want to make a theme for your uh, game or something, theme music. Can, can you compose it and then have it play it? it? You certainly could. I mean, you can think of a Navy composition as very much like uh, opening up a, a project in GarageBand or Logic or something like that, where you've got the ability to add multiple tracks of both audio and video. And you can use that, and there's there's APIs to control the placement of those clips, you know, to trim them, slice them, dice them as need be. And like some of, you know, these tools like GarageBand, for instance, they're all non-destructive, meaning that you're, you're not actually altering the underlying media. You're really just providing instructions for how those things should be presented and processed yeah, as, I, I as think a group. I'm, I'm a little more interested in, say, say I'm a musician, you know, so I want to kind of build like a piano app or something so that as I play it, it records it. You know, as I tap keys on the phone, you know, it, it plays that out and records it. Can it do those kinds of things too? I'm pretty sure GarageBand does something like that, but I don't remember exactly. Yeah, it, it certainly could now. That was something that really wouldn't have been within its capabilities previously. It wasn't until iOS 8 and Yosemite where these new, more advanced audio capabilities that enable real-time processing of audio have been made available because that's really important, you know, especially if you're building an instrument or something like that. Mm -hmm. You can't have latency uh, of any amount, you know, more than a few milliseconds of latency, the the performance would be all wrong. But now that you've got these new real-time audio capabilities, you certainly probably could take advantage of using AV Foundation to build that kind of an application. I I see Chapter 7 is using advanced capture features. So capturing seems pretty straightforward. You know, you turn on your microphone, turn on your camera, whatever, and, you know, you capture media. What are some of the advanced features that are available in AV Foundation? Well, the chapter chapter gets into dealing with some of the things we've discussed, such as AV metadata output for doing real-time face detection and barcode scanning. It also gets into some more of those advanced capture types, such as AV capture video data output, or how you go about processing the audio and video frames. And, you know, learning to use those APIs is challenging because unlike some of the higher level things, this doesn't really hide much from you. You're dealing with the video data as it's coming off the camera. So you need to understand how that data is formatted, how it's, you know, potentially compressed or the, the, the processing that would be required to work with it. And that's what this chapter gets into is dealing with how to take advantage of that and specifically deals with how do you bridge over to passing that data off to something like OpenGL for actually processing the media itself. Another interesting thing that, that's captured or discussed in that particular chapter is how to take advantage of high frame rate video. That was something that was introduced in iOS 7 so that now you, uh, as of iOS 7, at least on an iPhone 5 and 5S, you can do up to uh, 60 frames per second, or maybe even a 5S, you can do 120 frames per second capture. And why this is really nice is that enables you to slow the video way down to do interesting slow motion effects, but yet have very you know smooth, fluid motion. And I think with the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, didn't they announce that you can do up to 240 frames per second, I believe? Yes. Uh, so you can do some crazy slow motion effects as well. But enabling that capability is a little awkward at this stage. So that's why I wanted to certainly cover that in that chapter and how you go about doing it. So what kind of apps have you been building with AV Foundation? Well, most recently I've been working on a, an advanced streaming application 
And I think it's going to be kind of interesting because we're definitely pushing the boundaries of what can be done with streaming. So I'm actually kind of excited to have this uh, released out in, into the world. But we've still got a number of challenges to work with. One of the things you'll find with AV Foundation is when you start pushing into some of those more esoteric areas of the framework, you'll probably run into issues because we found kind of a critical bug this summer that totally shut down one potential approach we were going to take. But like I said, AV Foundation, when you get into those kind of outlying capabilities, that's where a, a whole lot of people haven't typically gone, and apparently including Apple. So you'll find some interesting interesting things to, to be encountered in those areas. Okay, is this like streaming audio, streaming video? It's streaming video. So I, I, the application is still in production, so I can't really talk too much about the details of it. But one of the interesting things that we're, we're doing is we're doing some pretty advanced animation and transition, things you don't typically see in a, a streaming application. And getting all that to work was, was kind of challenging. That's one of the areas in the editing APIs. They have some nice capabilities for doing transitions between video clips. Um, you can either do those by using a, the video compositing capabilities that are in there that enable you to say, you know, I want to perform a crossfade or I want to perform a push or something like that on these two video clips to transition seamlessly between them. You can also do your own custom video compositor. So you could pass that data off to OpenGL and then do whatever kind of crazy processing you want. But you can also do, you can incorporate core animation and have that nicely synchronized with your video playback. So that as you stop or rewind through your playback, all of those core animation effects will stay nicely in sync with your video playback. And trying to get some of that stuff working within a streaming application is challenging, which is why I think you don't typically see those kind of capabilities in most streaming applications. But we're attempting to do it, and so far so good. But it's not without its challenges. Very cool. Now, one thing Apple's been kind of annoying about is kind of real-time communication, like video, video chat, voice calling, that type of things. They've got their FaceTime, but that's not part of AV Foundation. They're not really playing with WebRTC. Do they give us any functionality for that type of function? Like to have it work? Not directly within AV Foundation. Well, I, I should couch that a, l a little bit. One of the things they brought to iOS 8 is they've now introduced the video toolbox, and this is the low-level decompression engine that is has always been present, but it's just something that developers didn't have access to now. So what this would enable you to do is actually get the raw compressed stream of data as it's being sent over the wire, and then uh, there is a new class. I kind of forget the. There's a new um, core animation class that you can take that data and pass it off to that class for rendering on on screen. But you can use this video compression manager class to both compress and decompress these raw bytes of data as they're coming over the stream. And I think the primary purpose for that is specifically for doing, uh, you know, voice chat and real time kind of communications. That's slightly related to AV Foundation, but it's really a level lower. Do you know what protocols are supported by that, or is it general? Uh, I think it's really a roll your own when you're going to that level. Okay. When when will the book be available? Uh, the tentative release date, I think, is the end of October. Um, so I would expect late October, early November. I'm actually just finishing up some of the last edits this week, hopefully. But I guess at this point in time, it's kind of in the publisher's hands. But I think that's when they've got it slated for release. 
How long have you been working on it? Too long. It, it, <laughs> That's what all the authors say. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I went into it with my eyes wide open, knowing that, yeah, it's going to be a lot of work. And it's probably going to take me a while. But as it turned out, it was a lot more work than I anticipated. It took me a lot longer. And I think it, it, it's estimating how long it's going to take you to write a book is, seems to be the same as how long it's going to take to write some software. Take your best guess estimate and then double it. Is that essentially what it was? Um, I actually started working on it last, about this time last year. And it just, boy, it's a, it's a long process. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that I did write the book because I think this is a, a book that's long overdue. AV Foundation is arguably one of Apple's most important frameworks they have. And if you look at the amazing number of applications and really the quality of applications that are found in the photos and videos section of the App Store, People are using it, but I, I don't think it's a framework that's really well understood by the community at large. So yeah, I think it's important that we finally have a book on this topic and really gives you a pretty comprehensive overview of the framework. And it also positions you well. I think once you understand all of the topics that are covered within the book, uh, you'll be able to explore some additional features and you'll also be well positioned for all of the changes that are, will be coming up in the next release because the, the framework evolves frequently. And you see big new advances in each each release of the operating system. Do you have other books that you've written? I have not. This is my first. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah, probably my last as well. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think the one thing that I certainly learned from this is that I think it's important to love writing. I like to write. I don't necessarily love to write. So taking on a project of this scope um, it's probably not something I would do again. I think it's entirely likely I'll, you know, maybe be a co-author or do something smaller that maybe I publish independently or something like that. But as far as taking on a big project like this again, probably not going to happen. I think every author says that af after they're done with the book. Then six months <laughs> later, you're like, well, maybe, you know. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it's funny because this this summer was really hectic because uh, I had a a bunch of work to get done by the end of July. So had you asked me, would you ever want to do this again in July? I would have said, no chance. But, you know, even now, being a couple months removed from it, I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe I'd, I'd do something in the future. So I think there's also, I mean, I really do have a passion for teaching. I mean, I've it's been something that I've done a lot throughout my career. I like giving presentations and things like that. But I think there might be some more, more effective ways for getting the same kind of information out without necessarily writing a book. So we'll see. All right. Well, should we get to the picks? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Alondo, what are your picks? I have two picks this week. Uh, my first pick is a podcast episode uh, from Justin Williams' uh, Coco Radio podcast. Uh, he had Jay Graves on talking about provisioning profiles, and uh, those have been sort of the bane of my existence for the past week. So it was very timely to hear. Only a week? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't usually have to deal with him until a client needs something done or somebody needs something uh, done. And I was doing a project for somebody and they said, hey, can you do me a favor and get this thing updated? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> and uh, so there's that. And the next pick actually is completely unrelated. Uh, I love learning things and I'm trying to revisit old topics from school that I sort of skimmed over. And now with uh, my nephews getting older and encountering those topics, it's help helpful to know things about them so I can help them with homework. 
So my next pick is a, a book called Basic Physics. It's a self-teaching guide from uh, Carl Kuhn. It's part of a self-teaching series on Amazon. Uh, and this is a great way to sort of go back through and make, get all the things that I missed when I skipped class in college. <laughs> and, uh, so it's a, it's a good read. Those are my picks. Very cool. Pete, what are your picks? Uh, so my first pick this week is a free conference. Uh, if you're in the Bay Area, there's a conference, or it's, it's, I guess it's called a code camp. So Silicon Valley Code Camp has been running for, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years at this point. And they get a lot of people because it's free. It's over the weekend of October 11th through 12th. There are currently 2,470 people registered to attend and 227 sessions. So that's a lot. A lot of people, a lot of stuff to learn. I'm going to be speaking there as well. So that's reason enough to attend, I'm sure. And so Silicon Valley Code Camp, October 11th and 12th in Los Altos Hills, California. My next pick is, uh, so this really interesting news story broke a few days ago about um, hacking your phone's gyroscope and turning it into a microphone. So these these crazy um, security researchers at Stanford, I believe, figured out that the gyroscope on our phones, the little embedded gyroscope, is sensitive enough that it can actually detect vibrations from you speaking and snoop on you. And at least for Android phones, you don't need any permissions in order to access the gyroscope. So kind of creepy spy technology, but also pretty cool uh, innovative use of the gyroscope. So yeah, that's an interesting read. And my last pick is a beer pick, and I'm going to pick Ballast Point Sculpin IPA. Almost one of my favorite IPAs at the moment from Ballast Point down in sunny San Diego. So yeah, if you're a fan of IPAs, check out Ballast Point Sculpin. Those are my picks. Pete, I'm impressed. You picked a beer I can pick up here. Oh yeah, sorry. Normally I'm super. Uh, I'll, I'll next week I'll try for something incredibly uh, hipster and artisanal and locally sourced and <laughs> make you feel bad. <laughs> All right, but plus one. That's a solid, solid IPA. Great, James. What are your picks? So we talked a little bit about kind of real time streaming and voice chat, and Apple doesn't really give us very good tools for doing that, even though there's a solid standard that people are starting to use WebRTC, but Apple's not really playing well with that, and they don't give us access to FaceTime. But I was able to do some work on an app that needed kind of voice chat, and I used the TalkBox API, and pretty solid, pretty easy to get together. It handles a lot of things that are a pain, because if you've tried to compile the WebRTC source for Apple, it's a nightmare. It's just a big pile of C and C++ code. So, And there are some GitHub repositories which have done it, but including that into a project, kind of a mess. So, I, But I enjoyed working with the Topbox API. They handle a lot of the gritty details, so I didn't have to deal with it. My second pick is it's about that time of year. Oktoberfest beers are sweeping the nation. So grab yourself one of the German Munich Oktoberfests. It's a great style of beer, a little heavier than your normal lager. Get like a Polliner, Hawker Shore, Spaten does a good one. There's some great beers that the American breweries, some of them do a decent one, but you know the Germans are really where it's at. So grab yourself a, an Oktoberfest. Those are my picks. You always outpick me on the beers. You're like my arch nemesis of picking. <laughs> how do, how do <laughs> you outpick? <laughs> Everyone wins with beer picks. How That's you... true. Yeah, it's uh, it's um, the um, a candle gives nothing by sharing its flame. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Candles and beer picks. 
all right. Well, I've got a couple of picks here. The first one is called Boomerang, and it's a plug-in for Gmail. If you listen to my other shows, I'm sorry I picked it on them too. But I just, I've really been excited about it because what it does is it allows you to have conversation threads or email threads come back to the top of your inbox. And so if I'm emailing somebody and I want to check in with them in a week, if they haven't emailed me back, then it's really nice for that. And if I need to do some other, you know, some other things with, you know, just checking in with them anyway or stuff like that, because people get busy a lot of times. And as a freelancer, I really need to do better at following up. And so it's it's just been a super, super thing for uh, getting me to follow up because it reminds me to get back with people about stuff. So get back with me in a month or whatever is now handled. So anyway, the, uh, that's that's my one pick. And then I've been reading Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And if you haven't read that book, it's awesome. Anyway, those are my picks. Bob, what are your picks? Well, I was trying to find uh, a great media-related application. And, well, just frankly couldn't come up with one. So instead, I thought I'd go with the the writing side of it. You know, when I started writing the book, I really looked around for a variety of different tools that would best meet my needs as I was working on the book. Because ultimately, the the chapters had to be submitted in Word format. And there was zero chance I was going to work in Word. Instead, I wanted to find a nice Markdown editor. And lots of tools support that, but they're really just plain editors, and I didn't want to uh, simply manage sheets of Markdown. So instead, I found this tool called Ulysses. And this is a fantastic Markdown-based writing tool. So it's very lightweight, so it provides all of the great things you love about Markdown, but it provides some uh, essential project management and writing management type of features. And one of the really cool things you can do with it is you can apply style sheets to it so that you can output in PDF or you can output in Word or HTML and have full control over how that output is presented. Uh, so I used that a lot, and that made it really easy to take my markdown text and then move that into Word and very quickly move on. Um, and then I guess my one other pick is actually a guitar pick. Not an actual guitar pick, but... <laughs> For the guitarists out there, you know, I, I own tons and tons of different guitar plugins for Logic. Um, and there's a great one that a lot of people don't know about called Scuff'em S-Gear. And what's kind of unique about this is that it models some unique boutique amps. And what it does different than others is it captures a lot of little subtleties that many of the others don't. And I think it's really one of the best sounding ones out there. And the, the cool thing is, too, it's only 100 bucks, which in comparison to some of its competitors, is actually quite cheap. So you can check that out at scuffemamps.com. Yeah, 100 bucks compared to a vintage tube amp. Pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time. And this is a topic that I am super interested in. So I'm probably going to pester you with emails and stuff. If anyone else wants to, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? You can find me either on Twitter, I'm at Bob McCune on Twitter, or at bobmccune.com, my website. You can contact me there. But certainly happy to help out wherever I, I can. I think this is a really fun topic. I think this is a fun framework. And uh, I'm glad I'm, I'm the one who's finally have, have a book dedicated to learning how to use AV Foundation. I hope it will help a lot of people out. Yeah, definitely. One thing I should, should mention about the, the book right now, if you're interested in pre-ordering the book, you can use McCune1808 as a pre-order discount code to get 35% off. If you go to my website, bobmccune.com, uh, one of the top posts you'll find there 
has some details about the book as well as a link to the publisher's website if you want to pre-order. Awesome. All right. Well, I don't think there's anything else, so we'll wrap this up. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. 